In the end, there were only three of them left. It's always, always the strategy of the powers, isn't it, to splinter people, not just to shatter their bones and splay their limbs, as the empire's governor was in the habit of doing to make his points, but to pull people apart from each other, split them up and keep the seed away from the soil. It always works best for the powers when we're divided, and no wedge works better than fear, although infusing the fear with anger can sometimes heighten the impact or hasten the effect, as we're learning. In this case, it came so close to working. The fear had been rising in the streets all week. Something was going to happen, and you couldn't really know what it would be, except that there was the power sharpening its edges, and then something else stirring, too, a different kind of strength that you could feel inside, beginning when he came riding unarmed into the city on a donkey. Something was going to happen when all those sharpened edges met that disarming strength and your pulse couldn't help quickening as you felt it gathering in the air of the city. That night, earlier that week, after they'd shared the final meal together, the men whom history named and the women whom history couldn't be bothered to name, after they'd recalled the ancient story of the escape from bondage, and then after he'd knelt before each of them, taken their weary feet one by one in his hands and washed them. That night, later, when they retreated into whatever small safety was left in the shadows of the garden, even he seemed to be afraid when he asked them to stay with him, to pray with him, then it must have begun to seem certain that the fear would win, that the splintering would be complete. Twice came his voice from the shadows, pleading with them to stay awake with him, as though he knew already how the power was going to do its work. But in the end, in the end, the splitting, splintering, shattering happened. It scattered them all into just a handful of terribly vulnerable solitudes. By the time the power caught up with the strongest one, that burly fisherman with his brash, impetuous loyalty, and shamed even him by the light of the fire in the courtyard until he was spooked by nothing more than the sound of a rooster in the distance. By then it seemed like there was nothing left to do except to save yourself alone. And so the last of them fled at the pounding of the hammer, the sounds of agony. And then the heavy quiet of that whole Long Saturday settled on each of them, wherever they were, alone, hour by desolate hour, until by dawn on Sunday there were just the three of them left, and it had almost worked.
almost. Very early in the morning of that interminable Sabbath, when that interminable Sabbath was over, the three of them took inventory of what they still had. Their grief, first of all, each her own grief, and all their grief together, which when they pooled it felt like an ocean. And then what remained of the strength from that last meal he gave them, which turned out to be a lot and which now coalesced into a sense of duty to tend to the ruined limbs of the one who had knelt to tend so tenderly to theirs. So their grief, their strength, and their few supplies, the spices and ointments for their burial custom, all that was left to do. These things they had among them, these few things they held together, and it was enough for them at least to decide to brave the dawn-gray streets on their grim, tender errand. Just the three of them, all that was left. Well, you know what happened instead when they got there. How what they found, or didn't find, scared them, not quite to death, though that's what they'd thought at first, but in the end, scared them to life. Because even though the official record says, as you heard Tracy read right here, that they told no one, clearly they told someone, or we wouldn't be here. Even if we don't know how it happened, we know that it happened, that they stayed together, that the power failed in its work, that the strength welling up inside pulled them high enough at least to keep their hearts above the rising tide of fear. The sharp edge of the power struck the shepherd and the sheep scattered as scripture had predicted. But all three, all but three, who pooled what they had and went out in the strength of it and held on to each other, even in their fear. Scripture says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Hmm. We tend to think of faith as a quality of personal character an attribute that an individual can cultivate like other virtues, a way of looking at the world that depends on the particular pair of eyes that are doing the looking. We think of faith as a noun that exists always in relation to a singular owner, a thing that a person has or doesn't have or wishes she had or that he has sometimes, or had once, and hopes to have again. But what if faith were less proprietary than that, and more sort of plural, like air or rain? 
What if faith were something that, if it can be had, is had by an us, not an I? What if faith were a way of naming how people are when they stay together, the way they live, the choices they make, the things they undertake? What if faith is something that you pool, something that coalesces? It's such a slippery thing, after all, when it's just you doing the holding. But if you can hold it together, then it's always in the room somewhere, always more of it than you probably know how to imagine yourself, always greater than the sum of its scattered parts. Oh, maybe at first, on that first day of the week, after that long, silent Saturday, faith seemed like something you either had or you didn't have. Like when you looked inside the tomb and could see with your own eyes, anybody could see that it was empty and felt like you were being asked a yes or no question. You looked and either you had it or you didn't. But I think that over time, Faith starts to become a way of seeing with more eyes than just your own. Over time, faith starts to become more like a name for precisely the opposite of what the power had been trying to do in splintering them, pulling them apart. Over time, faith begins to seem like a way of being together, beginning with the three of them on their tender errand, and then continuing with their electrified running away from the place of death and running down into history and not stopping until they arrived here. Here, at this address, on this very day, breathing hard and with such a story to tell. Just a decade or two after that, the Apostle Paul wrote this, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the spirit, any compassion and sympathy, any of that, Paul the Apostle, breathless himself probably as it always must have seemed that he was running around the Mediterranean basin and down through history as he did, Paul the Apostle wrote to the ones who had found each other and gotten together in the city of Philippi to help them take inventory of what they had and to encourage them to pool it and try to make something that could stand up to the terrible powers that were still, even a decade or two later, to say nothing of a couple of millennia later, trying to splinter them all and pull it all apart. So. If there is any encouragement in Christ, Paul wrote. And of course, you knew immediately knowing him that it wasn't in question at all. There was every encouragement in Christ, every consolation in love, every sharing in the Spirit, all kinds of compassion and sympathy. Since we're taking inventory of what we've got, pooling what we've got, and since we've got all those things, the Apostle Paul wrote to the Philippians, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having 
the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Or in other words, don't let them pull you apart. Don't implode into yourself your own doubts and fears and caveats. Have this mind among you, the Apostle Paul wrote to the Philippians, probably from prison himself and with the sharp edges of the power still flashing all around, still saying that if they pooled what they had, they'd find that they had so much that even in prison and maybe awaiting his own execution, it would, of all things, the Apostle Paul wrote, complete his joy. Back in the tomb that turned out to be empty, when it was still just the three of them, refusing to be pulled apart, pooling what they had, Back at the place where they expected to find a solitary, splintered body by itself alone. What they found instead was a luminous stranger who said, go and find something else to do with your grief. Because I'm telling you that you're not going to find him here. You're going to find him among you, in the midst of you, when you go back to the places where you first felt that strength inside, you hold him together now. He holds you together now. So go and tell other people what you've heard. You'll be surprised at how doing that will make it clear to you how much you have how much you can hold. He is already a good bit ahead of you. Go and find him. Well, it must have been terrifying for them. And you really can't blame them for running at first. There surely are terrifying things in this world, aren't there? And one of them is the things you thought were finished and done aren't finished after all, and that they have implications for you about how you spend the rest of whatever time it is you've got. So the three of them went running and ended up here. And we'll huddle with them and see what we've got among us because we refuse to let the power pull us apart. I mean, for instance, we are not going to stop insisting that assault weapons have no place in a civilized society. And that gender, beautiful, beautiful gender, is not a yes or no question, but more like a, I don't know, kaleidoscope. And that a decent place to live and sufficient health care are basic human rights. And that voting is not a privilege doled out by a few, but a responsibility that belongs to each and every one of us. 
and that this earth, this beautiful earth, is not a ball of raw resources, but a vessel of pure sacrament. We have this mind among us. We do. This mind for opening our polling places wide so as to pool our freedom. And this mind for opening the doors of our legislatures so as to pool the sound of our insistence that the cowering cowards do something so as to keep us safe. This mind for contemplating this planet where we love and pooling our reverence, not our appetites. We are not letting go of compassion and sympathy, not going to be frightened away from the consolation of love, not going to stop sharing in the spirit. We're going to pool these things, and they're going to be what we've got to build faith around. And if it turns out that there are times when faith is a hard thing for you to hold, well then, I'll hold it for you until you can pick it up again, because that's how it works. And if there are times when faith deserts me, when I feel bereft and left alone, well then, maybe you'll come and hold on to me and we'll see what we've got between us because that's how it works. The miracle of Easter maybe is not so much that someone that we thought was dead turns out to be not as dead as we thought or not dead in the way that we thought. The miracle of Easter, I think, is that in whatever form of aliveness he has now, he is holding us together we are holding each other together. We are holding him together. And there is more faith here among us than any of us can account for by ourselves. This mind among you, the Apostle Paul calls it. We think of a mind as something each one of us has alone. But what if it's also something that we inhabit together? What if what the luminous stranger is urging us to do on Easter morning is not to stand alone in whatever we've got that might pass for faith as we look into that place that anybody can see is empty, but to pool it and run with it and believe that it will be enough. If the idea of not being alone in that way, not being pulled apart by all the powers that are trying to splinter us and shatter us. If that idea appeals to you, well, we'll be here next week. <laughs> and the week after that, and on for at least another 353 years. The three of them who were once all that was left, have run all this way, breathless, to tell us that if we're looking for Jesus in the place where the power buries the splintered trophies of its work of keeping us apart, well, that is not where he is anymore. He is alive here in this mind 
among us. And hallelujah to that.